The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. It's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. And for spirituality and health podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com dot com backslash spirituality health. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Mara Branscombe, is a mom, writer, yogi, ceremonialist, and spiritual coach who weaves mindfulness, self-care, creativity, mind-body practices, and earth-based rituals into her life and her work. Mara is a regular contributor to Spirituality and Health magazine, where you can read her latest article, How to Embrace Divine Timing. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in this conversation. Her new book is Ritual as Remedy, Embodied Practices for Soul Care. Mara Bronscombe, welcome to Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It is a true honor to be here with you having this conversation. Well, I hope it's fun. (laughs) I'm glad it's an honor, but let's hope it's fun. (laughs) Let's make it as fun as possible. Okay. So uh, along those lines, before we actually get into the book, I'm sure people are going to want to know because I want to know what you do as a ceremonialist and a spiritual coach? Good question. First of all, as a ceremonialist, and this has been, uh, you know, the momentum of many years of this, both in mindfulness, meditation, yoga, free movement, mind-body channels. And, you know, really as a ceremonialist, I bring people together for special events so that we can come and greet each other in intention and honor what be it the full moon, the new moon, be it the blessing way of a mother ready to birth her child into the world. So like this, so we, you know, community ritual has been a true love for me to gather in intentional ways to 
align with mind, body, and spirit. Sometimes I get the sense, and you can read this into your title, I suppose, Ritual is Remedy, that ritual has fallen by the wayside in the sense that, I mean, there's lots of formal rituals, like in churches and synagogues, mosques and temples, but the kind of ritual I'm imagining that you're describing is much more spontaneous, much more temporary in the sense that it it happens and then it's done as opposed to, and now we'll be back next week, and then we'll be back next week. There's a spontaneity to it that is enlivening in and of itself. Is that fair? That is fair. And that is a great word for the earth-based rituals. So my rituals that I, you know, come through the embodiment that I invite in is through the cycles of the earth and the elements, earth, air, fire, and water. So yes, they have a spontaneous and very freeing energy to them where it's less formal and you can be an absolute beginner or someone who has been practicing, you know, many different ceremonies their entire life. But there's something pure and almost liberating in a way where we can honor what lives in nature and let it move us. And in those, in the rituals that you do and the ceremonies that you call together, you bring, you know, bring, you gather people together for these ceremonies. They're not, and this is a question though, I'm going to make it sound like a statement. They're not text-based. You know, when you go to a synagogue, Judaism, and people Mm -hmm. can argue this because that's what Jews do. But (laughs) in in my mind, Judaism, and this is what I love about it, is a text-based religion. It's all about language. It's all about words, but not just words, but printed words. You know, we have a book and the book is heavy and, you know, more pages than you can read in any given ritual that we might do. But the things you're talking about are not that, correct? Am I, that's... Yes, that's correct. And, you know, it really, it's, it comes through and from within in a way of mind-body alignment, I would say. So um, I think the big difference is that, you know, my intention coming into these rituals is to free us from what binds us from within. And to, and as we know, the mind is perhaps some of our biggest work in our lifetime in terms of working with our mind and liberating our mind from what we, you know, perceive as limitations or our true limitations. And so the, this is a space that I'm creating, and I certainly did not invent, you know, any of these wheels. Coming from the pagan lineage, I have inspiration there. I have inspiration from the shamanic lineages of Peru, and that my embodiment of the yoga, the meditation, and, you know, my spirituality, I would say, is through nature. And so it's living, it's alive, and it is as you say, non-text based. And so is there a creativity, um, a spontaneity, a process-oriented container in which, for example, I self-guide myself through these rituals, which I find very powerful and, and quite liberating, or whether you do it in a group. There's something that I feel sparks one's divine will and one can under maybe more clearly see perhaps what 
is reflecting back to us in terms of our deeper work to be done personally, our deeper work personally, so that we can live the life that we want to. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. It's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. And for spirituality and health podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash spirituality health. Does this carry over or how does this carry over into your work as a spiritual coach? Yes, that carries over. So I work with people when they come to me and they're, you know, often the question is, I want to develop my spirituality. That's, you know, I want to, people come in this, in this way. And as you even spoke of the many religious traditions of the past, the many lineages that some of us have been raised in and some of us have chosen to, you know, to divert from the path a little bit. And in, in that, what happens is there's not a lot. So let's, you know, let's say you were raised in a religious family and you chose to no longer practice or perhaps your own family stopped practicing as a young child. That was my situation. So then what? How does one then open to a spiritual energy within oneself that feels right. And so my work as a spiritual coach is to hold and embrace people kind of in an emotional sense as they they come through to really connect back to a deeper place within themselves so that one can spark intuition. One can um, live through the eyes of wonder. One can see the beauty in nature and remember that we can live life through this sense of awe and wonder. I don't remember who told me this, which one of my teachers said this, though I think it's Abraham Joshua Heschel, said something like, if you really want a revolution, if you want to affect a revolution, you have to change the ritual. Mm. And that seems to be in line with your book. You know, I admit, I love the title. Right away, it grabbed me, Ritual as Remedy. And inside the book, you know, in the book, you have, you list, you articulate, explore a variety of remedies. I'm curious if you think there's a foundational dis-ease that these rituals address. What I have in mind, so I don't just leave you hanging. If I had asked myself that question, I would say that the dis-ease of humanity, at least the, in the United States, or at least the part of the United States in which I live, I think there's a dis-ease of nihilism, meaninglessness. And that somehow is accompanied by a disease of narcissism, mm-hmm. a self-loathing that masquerades as self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is trying to love themselves, and yet I think that's masking a deeper loathing. So, so you may agree or disagree with my you know, take on the disease, but is there one that you feel or an underlying disease that, that is addressed by ritual or that you try to address with these rituals? Yes, I would say there's a few that come to mind right away. The first one is being, you know, I feel that there's this also dis-ease of not having an anchor anymore in life because of, you know, we are a high-paced technological 
society where we're often just in front of our phones or, you know, you can walk down the street. And I think that, you know, we're in this highly connected world. We're more disconnected than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I feel that rituals, whatever it is. And so what I'm proposing in this book also is to liberate yourself, make your own recipe and activate it, what works for you. So whether it's ritualizing your morning tea or coffee and sitting for five minutes in quiet and visualizing, you know, the way you'd like to move through your day consciously, that is an anchor. The other, you know, foundational disease that I feel that ritual brings to us is the epidemic of loneliness is real and it's true. And when we, you know, can engage in anything meaningful, what happens? Perhaps we feel less alone. When we engage and connect with nature, and I know not all of us have, you know, access to wildlife and nature in ways that others do, but often there's a park or we can have houseplants or, you know, we can connect somehow. But when also I feel there's a connection to nature, there's a great sense of uh, abundance and connection to something greater than, as you say, you know, our, our, you know, human ego that might be a bit tripped up or guised or veiled by some other issues. You know, I'm just curious, and this was sort of tangential to what you were, to, to the answer about having no anchor, no connection, loneliness. You mentioned ritualizing your morning coffee or your morning tea. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very interesting idea that you could take things that you already do and somehow, and, and I'm going to ask you how, what you have in mind, what, ritualize them. So what do you mean by ritualize them? And give us some example. Great. So when you, this is a great example, and I love to encourage, and this is part of the work that I do as a spiritual coach, is I enc- what do you do first thing when you wake up in the morning? It's very important how we start our day. It's also very important how we end our day. So for example, we wake up in the morning. Could it be that we leave our devices just to the side for at least five or 10 minutes, whatever you have? I'm not asking, you know, I'm not saying we have to sit in meditation for 30 minutes. A lot of us don't have time for that. But as you sit with your warm drink and you prepare it mindfully and you're, it's an act of mindfulness. So it's not that you're loathing your day coming forward. It's that you're embracing the beauty that can unfold, the opportunity to live this precious life. And you sit with your morning tea or coffee. I light a candle personally every morning with my warm drink and I sit in silence and I receive. Perhaps you remember your dreams more likely from the night before. And I also, with that ritualizing with my tea or coffee, I begin to welcome in the day and visualize it going the way I would like it to go in a positive sense, not attaching to any outcome, of course, but just that's an energy, that's a frequency that can radically alter our day. So I want to do something I don't think I've ever done on the show before, and that is bring our producer in. He's listening, but he's <laughs> muted. So Ezra, Ezra Baker Trupiano is our producer. He has a two-month-old baby daughter. Mm. And I'm wondering, when you get up in the morning first thing, Ezra, do you have time <laughs> to light a candle or even to make a warm beverage? Or do you get up because she's screaming? And it's three o'clock in the morning. Well, 
To answer your question, how much time do I have these days? The answer is not much, but we do have certain things that we do that are routine because we have to do them. But I like the idea of incorporating some ritual elements into them and making the, the mundane or the routine just a little bit less that, because at the moment, that sounds great. Mara, I want to know how you ritualize diaper changing. Yes, I know it. I lived it. That's, you know what, whatever you have. And Ezra, the way you talked about the, the rhythm, rhythm is really important. Rhythm and ritual pair together like the sun and the moon. And children love and thrive on rhythm. And so whatever your rhythm is, even though it changes and you're, you're holding your two-month-old baby girl and you're sipping your coffee or tea with the other hand, that is a moment to not also do another task. That is a moment to savor that you're holding your daughter and you're enjoying your warm beverage and you're welcoming in, yeah, a sacred energy. So you could also look at your phone at the same time, right? And I'm not asking for this all day. This is, I love to think about bookending our days. What do we do in the morning? First thing. Also, how do we end our day? And what ritual can you bring in that supports a good night's sleep for you? Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. All right. So there's a little advice for Ezra and anyone else with a two-month-old. <laughs> <laughs> so let me read to you something from your book and see if you can expand on it for me because I found it really interesting. Early on, you write, the work of the modern mystic is to be the gardener of your own energy body. I love that phrase, the gardener of your own energy body. And this, I'm continuing. The daily task of the modern mystic is to bear witness to what thoughts, feelings, actions, and words you're feeding into your being. So I have two questions. I want to like you to talk a little bit more about the gardener of your own energy body, what the energy body is and how you are the gardener of that. And then if you think there's a difference between the modern mystic and pre-modern mystics. Mm. Good questions. So the gardener of the energy body is really taking it upon yourself to self-regulate, to be mindful of, for example, what stress or excess or imbalances that you know you're conscious of that you're still you know repeating or allowing to come through you and it, it comes the gardener you know of the energy body is really around the daily practice of self-care and so you know we know that of course a little bit of exercise and movement is so important for us. We know that also practicing mindfulness through either silence or meditation is very important or prayer, ceremony, ritual, and also joy and play and creativity and fun and laughter. And so when we, you know, when we feel like we're overwhelmed and we feel that we're, you know, swimming in deep waters, 
that's a reflection point that our soil needs to be nourished. Our inner garden, our weeds need to be pulled. We need to re recalibrate. And I think my fascination and interest and deep love of this comes from my 25 years of yoga practice and you know meditation and my movement background. And so perhaps I'm quite sensitive to what I feel inside my body. And I think we all are if we allow ourselves to go there. So that's around, you know, and I'm a big gardener. I'm, I love gardening and I grow food. So I think I have a lot of those metaphors that come through. Does that answer the, does that answer that for you? Yeah, that, that expands on that, but it, it opens something else before we okay. go back to what's a mystic. The idea of being a gardener, an abstract idea. You're actually a gardener. You grow your own food. Now, we have a substantial garden in our, our backyard. So we are, we're lucky enough to have a backyard where you can have a garden. And, you know, things are starting to grow, fruits and vegetables, and we'll be eating the stuff that we plant for months now. Would you recommend, even if people don't have, you know, they live in an apartment or they don't have a backyard or a garden, there are, I don't know what you call them, tiny gardens where you mm -hmm. can grow, if not fruit, vegetables, you can at least grow spices. How, how important is it, do you think, to be a gardener to one extent or another, not metaphorically, but actually to grow something that you consume? I think it's so important, if at all possible, go for it. There's community gardens, there's tiny gardens. We can even have a small herb garden um, by our window in our apartment. And the act of this is very ritualistic, I feel. It's mm. very satisfying. It's full circle. It comes from all of the elements. And there, it brings greater meaning to us. And I say whatever brings greater meaning in a way to, and what lights us up, what matters most, is really the path that we can enter into the state of ritual, especially, you know, because there's already an interest there. And so can we go so deep into it in a way that it becomes naturally ritualistic? And there's also the sense of caring for these, you know, these plant neighbors, <laughs> these plant beings. I know that my job is more watering than anything else, though. I just dug a big hole for something. And, you know, they, they, this sounds silly, but the plants, in a sense, they talk to me like, hey, we're thirsty. You know, yes. come over, check the soil. We need something to eat and we need something to drink. And providing that for them is an act of service that I personally find Oh, I don't know what the word is. I was going to say uplifting, but that's not even close. It's There's something intrinsically sublime about mm. being of service to these other beings in my house and in my backyard. So I, I guess I'm, I don't, I don't want to overstress the point for listeners, but grow something, even if it's not something you eat, you know, yes. grow something that, you know, that might be a, a way of, of adding ritual to your life that will seem a little less maybe esoteric. Yes, I agree. And that consistency that you are communing with the plants and tending to their needs perhaps allows you even to feel more within yourself. Like you said, this sublime, you know, connection. And that brings me to, in a way, the modern mystic. <laughs> 
the question that you had, yeah. you know, around that, which, you know, the idea of, you know, the mystic being the one who seeks um, contemplation, perhaps the the deeper connection to life and what the meaning of life and to surrender to the divine will and the absolute. And can it be found through nature as the modern mystic? I feel very strongly for me, it can. And something that I've been doing recently that I, I've brought back, I guess I've always been a tree hugger to tell you the truth, but I really have brought back the art of being with trees and on my walk with my dog every day, I visit the same tree and I literally either lean up against it or I wrap my arms. It's a, she's massive. She's a massive maple tree. And I, I speak to her and I thank her and I look up and I see how many animals she houses and how many birds visit her. And yeah, and again, it can sound, you know, a little bit woo woo, but I, I just nestle in. I put my ear against, right against the bark and my heart right against the bark, and I listen, and I soften, and sometimes I receive through my own intuition or whatever's going on, my own inner dialogue, very helpful information for my work or for my family, for raising my daughters. So I wanted to bring that forward. Yeah, I appreciate that for a couple of reasons. One, I share your love for trees. My six-year-old grandson is a tree hugger, though he does, he's not <laughs> yeah. an environment. He doesn't have that concept in his head. But he, I mean, we were just out at a park the other day and he was just hugging trees like they were his friends because oh. they were in a sense. And, and, and it, it spoke to a couple of things to me. One, in, in your book, you say that the modern mystic sees love as the ultimate source of life. And you can see that love mm -hmm. between my grandson and I think it's mutual, and the tree. So there's that, you know, that, that's mm -hmm. actually visible. But there's a sense in this love that you're, or I'm asking you, I'm going to say that there's a sense in this idea of love, and just using the tree as our example, that the modern mystic, and maybe all mystics, pre-modern and now, that the mystic is aware of consciousness, not necessarily self-consciousness, the way a human ego operates, but the idea of panpsychism that, that everything is conscious. There is no inanimate objects. Mm. There are no inanimate objects in the universe. There are only sentient, conscious beings in the universe, though the consciousness may be so subtle that you and I think it's a rock and we don't think there's any consciousness there at all. But the mystic, like when Jesus says, you know, split a log and I am there, turn over a rock and I am there. Mm -hmm. I, I read that as, it's not, I'm going to, it's like, not like when someone orders a pizza and they see the face of Mary or the face of Jesus in the cheese. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> I think he's saying that if you're a mystic, you can experience the divine consciousness that he embodied and that everyone does, but he self-realized. And you can experience in experience that in the tree, in the garden, in other human beings, and in oneself. And that seems to me to be the ultimate. That's what that's what humanity needs now, maybe more than anything else. Mm -hmm. 
that if we could experience that shared consciousness, we would treat nature differently. We would treat each other differently. There wouldn't be you know, wars in Ukraine. There wouldn't be this incredible starvation that's happening in Africa because we would all be bound together by this common mind. That seems to me to be the work that you're really, that's the work you're doing. Is that, how does that sit with you? That, uh, amen, is all, that is beautiful. Thank you for speaking in this way and um, profound and deep. And I would absolutely agree with all of that. And isn't it something that, you know, we can feel supported by these energies also? We yeah. can feel less less complex, less existential dread in a way when we can open ourselves to, to this consciousness. Yeah. I think the more open you are to that consciousness, the less dread, the less fear, the less loneliness. I mean, if you really understand the nature of the universe, you can't be lonely because you're not alone. It's all this happening. Everything is this non-dual happening of which you are a part. I, I want to bring up one last thing before we run out of time. And it's in the book, but it also is in uh, your essay. I think it's your current essay in Spirituality and Health Magazine about divine timing. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about divine timing and how we can attune ourselves to it? Divine timing, in my understanding or experience, is when we can allow ourselves to, I always say, connect to the intention of what you want to bring forward, for example, or your vision, your intention, and, but let go of the outcome. Because when we, you know, when we come and we say, oh, I want this for my life and must do this, and then I'm going to do this. Well, what's behind that is, you know, there's an energy there, obviously, that you want to cultivate and connect to, for example, you know, your life mission, the book you want to write, the, you know, the job you want to get. But what's the feeling inside of that? What's the feeling inside of that, you know, desire? And then when you can let go of the final outcome, we allow ourselves to what I would say is divine timing. We allow ourselves to be a conduit because sometimes the universe has a different plan for us in a way. But when we set our intention clear and we open ourselves to, you know, whatever it is that we want to, you know, do or accomplish, then, you know, we can be more readily available to the signs, the symbols, the messengers, the people, the energies, the consciousness that will actually help the vision, the goal, the intention within us, what is truly meant for us, I believe. Because I I feel in our our society, there's just a lot of push, 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 must move faster. The productivity wound, you know, is, is so strong. And like you were saying before, some of these masks or these veils, these diseases, they begin to build up. And then we no longer have access to what that divine timing is because we can't hear it. And divine timing is deeply connected to our own intuition. So it's our intuitive, you know, impulse connecting to that. And then also understanding the environment we're in and reading it and being open to, you know, the shifts that may need to happen through that. Very interesting. 
Sadly, divine timing is now going to give away to <laughs> podcast timing, and we are out of it. Our guest today, Mara Bronscom, is the author of Ritual as Remedy, Embodied Practices for Soul Care. You can learn more about her work at marabronscom.com. And also you can read her essays in the Spirituality and Health magazine and check that out. Thank you so much for talking with us on Spirituality and Health podcast. Rabbi Rami, thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at SpiritHealthMag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. It's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. And for Spirituality and Health podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash spirituality health. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.